North Bay. My name is Brian Steele. I'm a pastor at Bellingham. I love coming up to North Bay because there's like a huge body of water like right there. You can just, you can smell the clams, can't you? They're just wafting out. So uh, I get to uh, do a prequel to the series that Pastor Dan is going to open on Genesis. So we're going to be talking about Genesis today. But before we get into that, friends, we need to have a conversation about making sandwiches. And I'm not talking about just slapping together some peanut butter and jelly. I'm talking about the hard work you have to put in to make a really good sandwich. I'm talking about the kind of sandwich where you're actually making your own bread and letting it rise and baking it and then slicing it just right. I'm talking about the kind of sandwich where you have to thinly slice your own meat not the pre-sliced meats, friends. We're not talking about that. Uh, that. That you're making the meat sliced just the same way, and it's not just like the... We're not, we're not doing the, the cheddar singles, right? We're not unwrapping the plastic to get the cheese out. We're going, no, 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 no. The good cheese, friends, we're talking about. We're talking about then, like, the lettuce that you go out to your garden, and you're, you're harvesting that perfect piece, and you're placing it just right. You know what kind of sandwich I'm talking about? Right. And it's just the, the <laughs> obviously there's bacon, right? <laughs> obviously there's bacon, and the bacon is cooked to perfection, and you're doing all this work, and eventually you have this sandwich. And then you start eating the sandwich. Now, the outer bites of the sandwich is a little bit of the crust. And then you get a little bit further into the sandwich, and then you get more of the meats and lettuce. Then eventually you arrive at a magic moment in the sandwich. It's the perfect bite, it's called the money bite. And it's at this moment that my wife says, can I have a bite? <laughs> Anybody else know about this? You know what I'm talking about when I say the money bite. And then I have a choice. I could take this thing and turn it around and offer her a little bit of the crust, or I give her the best the money bite, the fullness and the highest part of all of the work and the labor I offer freely to the one that I love and joy. And friends, I want you to know that the very first word of the Bible captures this picture of the highest gift the best offering, the money bite. As we dig into the book of Genesis, my hope is that you get rid of all of the baggage that gets attached to this book and that you look at the book of Genesis through new eyes. I want you to see Genesis. Dan might be like, what's he talking about, the sandwich stuff? But I want you to see the book of Genesis through the lens of God's highest gift and best offering to us. And that's what Genesis chapter 1 is. In fact, if we look at the, uh, the very first chapter, or the first verse of the, of the book of Genesis, it says this. 
It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now we, in our Western mindset, we look at this verse and we just think, okay, this is the beginning. What we're talking about is a sequential order of things where there was day one and you did this and then day two and you did this and day three and the four and five. But there is so much more than just a sequential order that's laid out in Genesis chapter 1. Because here's the very first word of the Hebrew Bible. It's the word brashit. Now, I don't want you to freak out about that, right? I want you to hear, I want you to say it with me, brashit. Everybody, give it a shot. Brashit. Make that E long, right? It's a brashit. And um, it's a compound word. The first b means in, but the word that we're going to focus on is the rashit. Rashit. And that, it does mean the first in an order of things, but there's a fuller sense to that word, and it's the highest gift, the best offering, the most choice portion, the money bite. That Genesis 1 isn't just an account of how the physical stuff in the world came to be. But Genesis is giving a story and an account of the exceedingly generous goodness of the God of heaven who wants to give us something that's far beyond we could ever imagine. So tied up in this word rashid is the sense of the highest gift. And if we blaze over the very first word of all of scripture, we're missing something really important because we need to look at the narrative that follows through the lens of this word. I mentioned a kind of Eastern-Western mindset. See, in, in a Western worldview, we tend to think linearly with bullet points and first and then second and then third and everything is defined very carefully and we talk about the omniscience of God and the omnipresence of God and the, that he's all... We have these terms to describe God and that's kind of how our, our minds think. But the Eastern worldview and the Eastern mindset that the scripture was written in, it's more about images and pictures than it is about a sequential ordering and list of things. So when we're getting the picture of Genesis chapter 1, it's painting a beautiful image of a God who's offering you the money bite. He's offering you the money bite, the best, the highest, the most choice portion given to you. So we can say, let's look at what is creation then. There's an account of it in Genesis chapter 1, but we got to say that creation is the most wonderful gift. That's what the chapter and the introduction to the story is trying to, trying to show us. It's a wonderful gift, the stuff that was made. Now, 
Now, I'm a, I have a background in geology. I don't know if you know this, so I've been a pastor for 10 years. Before that, I was a professional geologist, so I practiced geology for, for um, about 15 years. I got my master's in geology, my bachelor's in geology, and so, so I am bored to teeth, bored to death. Why bored to teeth? What does that even mean? I have no idea. I am bored to death over this, this hamster wheel of was it a literal six day or was it a figure, you know? And I'm not saying that that discussion isn't important. It is important. But if we just focus strictly on this argument about whether it was a literal or a figurative six days in creation, we're missing something. It would be as if on Christmas Day, there's a giant stack of presents beneath the tree, and the kids are arguing about whether the wrapping paper was bought at Target or Walmart. And the parents who offered this gift in love are going like, are you kidding me? Are you not even going to enjoy? And they're trying to go, well, how, what was the technique used to wrap these presents? And they're fighting over, over whether it was folded this way or that way. And, and what kind of tape was used? And if we only camp on the debate about literal or figurative six days of creation, we are missing the reshit, the gift the money bite. Throughout Genesis chapter 1, God pronounces creation, this offering. He says that it's good six times throughout the text of Genesis chapter 1. It was good. 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 And then he gets to the culmination of creation after humanity is creation. And he says what, friends? It was very good. In the Hebrew, it's tov ma'od. The ma'od is very. So, you know, one Hebrew word already, at least, it's rashit. Give me a second one for the ma'od. Let me hear it. Check you guys out. You're speaking Hebrew this morning. The coffee is working. Who made the coffee? Good job. It's working. Okay. We're speaking Hebrew now. Ma'od means it's very good. God isn't just giving something that's shabby. He's not slapping something together. What he's giving to us is very good, the money bite, the best. This creation is a wonderful gift. And I think still, after thousands of years of human history, we're scratching the surface at how good creation really is. Let me give you an example. So I have, since I was as young as I can remember, I've really struggled severely with asthma. Any other asthma, anybody else in the asthma club? All right, we got some folks at Chris Asthma Club. Nice, you're like vice president, is that right? Okay, so I've had horrible asthma almost all my life, and I had to take medicine constantly. Like, I was called asthma boy when I was a kid during summer growing up in the Bay Area, California. I couldn't go outside because I was a mess. So what do I do? I'm inside during summer putting puzzles together. Asthma boy. Awesome. Growing up in my adult life, it, it, it's, it stuck with me. If I missed my asthma medicine for three days, I was a mess. A wreck, hospitalized multiple times as a kid. 
a year and a half ago, I started thinking about my breath. What a gift breath is. I started thinking that the breath that's in my lungs is a gift from the God of heaven that he made in creation. And I started wondering if there was something more to the breath that he's given me. I started learning how to breathe differently, breathing deeply. Everybody now, I want to try have you breathe deeply, starting in your, in your gut, just a big in. And then a long out. And friends, I started breathing differently. And there was something in the very breath and I've been off my asthma meds for a year and a half with zero asthma. And I'm just saying, I'm not saying that because look how cool I am. I'm saying, look at how amazing creation is. Also, I'm not giving medical advice. Asthma boy back there, I'm not saying this is not any kind of like, right? But I'm just saying there was something in the very breath in my lungs that I didn't even understand and that's how amazing creation is there's a gift that's unraveling that we need to discover okay you're right no that's exactly right there's a whole theology of it the ruach right like in Genesis chapter 1 God breathes into Adam through his nose the ruach and he becomes a living being Right? So we can say creation is a wonderful gift. Next, we can say, who is our God? He's the wonderful giver. The main point of Genesis chapter 1 is not to provide a detailed or, uh, origin story of the physical universe. It's just not but it's to focus the attention on the character of the one who is the giver, our loving creator. Because we can say the majesty of the gift reflects the majesty of the giver. Is that right? Can I get an amen on that? Thank you. The majesty of the gift reflects the majesty of the giver. And if we pull this into our New Testament context, just take a look at, at John chapter 3. The famous verse that every football player knows because it's like behind the goalpost somewhere. It's, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Do you see the Rashid in there? That he offered to us the highest gift. What more could he give than his own son? He's saying, I love you. Here's a gift for you. If Jesus isn't the money bite, I don't know what is. This is what the Bible is trying to set up in the very first word of all of Scripture. It's a theme that's following throughout. Take a look at James chapter 1. Every good and perfect gift is from, a from above, coming down from the Father of lights, 
with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Like this idea of Rashid, the highest gift, is all throughout Scripture that once you start looking at it, you're going to see it everywhere. Every good and perfect gift is from above. The Father of lights. I want you to take a moment right now. I want you to consider this ultimate being, this one with all power, the one who is all present, the one who is all loving and all knowing friends right here. He's in the room right now. He's extending to you his rashit, his highest gift, right now. Let's take a look at where this story is going next. Because it begins in Genesis 1, and I believe that the whole of Scripture pours out of the very first word. Because we can say that this story is going to the ultimate offering, the ultimate gift. And just, just, just work with me now as we just take a mini little sprint through Scripture. We're not covering it all, but just think about it. In the very first word of the Bible, it begins with this Rashid, the highest, best gift. God eventually works and calls a man named Abraham. And he says, Abraham, through you, I want all of the world, all of the families of the world to be blessed. He's saying his intentions. It's like, look, this is not just for one select group of people. He wants this gift extended to all of the families of earth. Eventually, this, this, this chosen family, they get enslaved in Egypt Right, They're there for 400 years, and then God taps Moses to bring them out. I don't know if you've picked up on this in, in the story, if, you, if you're familiar with it. When they leave Egypt, God does this Jedi mind trick. He says, look, I want you to ask your neighbors for all their stuff. And it's sort of like I'm picturing, you know, Luke going, you want to give me all your gold. And the neighbor says, I want to give you all my gold. That these slaves leave Egypt filthy rich. God gave them abundantly, emptied the coffers of Egypt, and the slaves walked out as royalty. He gave them a good gift as they were leaving slavery. God leads them through the desert. He's intending to bring them to a promised land. He says, this isn't just a peanut butter and jelly kind of sandwich of the promised land. It's like, no, the promised land is flowing with milk and honey. And when it gets to that part of the story where they're about ready to enter the promised land, he says, this is so cool. He says, the land is tov ma'od ma'od. The land is very, very good. There's nowhere else in Scripture where that tov ma'od ma'od is used. Isn't that beautiful? 
In Genesis, he says it was tov ma'od. It was very good. He gets to the promised land and says, actually, it's better than what you thought. It's very, very good. That's the kind of gift that God gives is you understand its goodness a little bit now. And once you start digging into it, you find that it's better and better and better and better and better. Ma'od, ma'od, very, very good. The people get settled in the promised land. They build a temple, and then he's establishing a system of worship. Now, this is where the Old Testament gets kind of weird, right? If we're being honest. Like, he's like, I want you to sacrifice these lambs and slaughter these bulls and bring your grain offering, and it's kind of strange. Am I alone in thinking, is it a little bit strange, right? Some of that Old Testament stuff, it's a little bit strange. But you know what he's asking them to do? He's saying, now you bring to me your highest and best gift. You bring to me your first fruits, your choicest portions. You bring to me your reshit. God is wanting to form and shape a people that are just like him. Knowing how to give the best. Knowing how to offer the money bite. you know the story doesn't go well they fall into idolatry and it's easy for us to shake our fingers at them but you know what we're doing the same thing if we're in that promised land and we're them we're being marched off into exile to babylon too so we can't be all high and mighty but they end up in exile in babylon the temple gets destroyed and then as they go to re-enter the promised land after their exile, you know what happens again? The king of Persia funds the entire building project. They go from being exiles again, and once again, they're filthy rich. God again gives them abundant blessing. He offers them the highest portion, the best gift. So they leave exile, they come back into the promised land, they have everything that they need to reestablish worship. God blesses them again. Do you see how this key theme in the very first word of the Bible follows all through the story? Like, I, I, am I crazy? Am I the only one that sees this? Is there anybody else that goes, wow, this is kind of neat? Okay, good, okay, I'm not crazy. Good. I was, that was a long pause. You let me hang in a little bit. Let's go into the New Testament now and follow that same thread. The Father gives the Son. The Son says that when we seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, He gives us everything we need. The Father then gives the Holy Spirit, pours it out onto the disciples. And then lastly, at the end of the age, when the kingdom is fully consummated and finally fully here and completely restored and everything made new, we have to look at Daniel 7.27. Take a look at this. It says, And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. 
His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all of the dominions shall serve and obey him. Friends, do you see what that is? After all of human history, this amazing kingdom is going to finally come, and you know what he's doing? He's going to go, here. This is for you. All of it. Not just one bite of the sandwich, the whole sandwich. It's for you. All of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. Think about it. At the beginning of creation, the Creator speaks a few words and all of this leaps into existence. What's that kingdom going to be like after the millennia and us partnering with him to build this beautiful, beautiful gift and he wants to give it to us? There's nothing left the Lord can give you. He's given you his son. He's given you his Holy Spirit. At the end of the age, he's giving you all of the kingdoms. Eternity is enjoying what's been given. The cupboards are bare. He's like searching through the couch cushions to find some change that he can give to you, but, but the couch is gone. Why? Because he's already given it to you. Amazing. Had a friend who um, uh, worked with her grandson, invited her grandson over, and, and there was a truck that was just really filthy, and it was it was really dirty on the outside, and it was trashed on the inside. And, and um, she said, uh, would you just work with me to clean this up? And, and they spent hours on this. They washed it down and detailed the inside and vacuumed it out. And you know in the cup holders, there's all that like, kind of like nasty stuff. And what is that stuff anyways? It's, never mind. It doesn't matter. They're cleaning out that stuff. And, and, and eventually, after hours of working together, she took the car keys and she gave them to her grandson. She said, this is yours now. Isn't that beautiful? That's what human history is. The Lord is inviting us to partner with him to make a beautiful, amazing kingdom. And then he's going to say, here you go. That's yours. The very first verse of the Bible has this idea of the greatest gift. The very last verse of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22, verse 21, says, May the grace of of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And friends, that word grace in the Greek is charis, 
and it means gift. Isn't that beautiful? So the first word of Scripture starts with this amazing gift, and the very last is a gift, and that means everything in between is describing this God who wants to give you his highest. So that brings us now to how should we live I think we can only conclude that we are to live to give. Look at Proverbs 3, chapter 9. It says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. It's the same word, reshit. Honor the Lord with your wealth. And with your best gift, your money bite, give to him. Not the crusty parts, <laughs> not the leftover scraps and crumbs. Offer to the Lord your best. Romans chapter 12, look at verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And why wouldn't we? If God has given us everything that he has, why wouldn't we give him everything that we have? Why wouldn't we? James chapter 1, look at verse 18. Of his own, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits. The same word, Rashid. There it is. The best gift, the first fruits of his creatures. That's who we are. We are in our core, in our DNA, to reflect him in his image. We are to offer and to be a gift to others. Could even say, separates us from the beasts is the ability to give our best. Let me say that again. What separates us from the beasts is our ability to give the best. We even say that. We say that, that people that are only taking and people that are destroying their beasts we're fully human when we're giving our best. We become like God when we give like God. We give the money bite to others. Uh, I just wonder what would happen to the divorce rate if husband and wives literally gave each other the money bite in the sandwich where it's like I'm getting to this one thing and, and I'm giving you the pinnacle of my work. Not just in that. But what would happen if that was the character of marriages? Just before Jesus died, he assembled his 12 disciples together in an upper room. He washed their feet can't you see uh, the 
the, the gift of service, the humble gift of service, that gnarly work of washing feet. Jesus washed their feet, and then he says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, and by this you'll, be pro you'll prove to be my disciples. If you love one another the way I do. Now, now imagine that group of disciples where he gives this new command that I think he intentionally assembled the most hostile group of people that he could in that region. So you have Galilean fishermen, blue collar, they're working, their language probably isn't super like clean. Picture the gnarly hands, it's hard work, it's rough work. Then he's adding to the team a tax collector who collected taxes on Galilean fishermen. And the tax collectors often were uh, very wealthy because they were scamming money off of people. They dressed with these flowy robes. They think they might have uh, painted themselves. And, and if you've seen The Chosen, I think they did a really good job comparing Matthew with the other disciples, right? There's this natural tension. He's wearing his very fine robes, and, and they're not. So they would have hated each other, hated each other. Deep hatred for one another. Then Jesus says, I got an even better idea. I'm going to add in Simon the Zealot, who's like for the violent overthrow of Rome, and he would have hated the fishermen because they were participating in a Roman economy. And of course he would have hated the tax collector because he had sold out his own people and was working for Rome. And so there's this high tension in that room, naturally. It's to these people, he said, love one another the way I've loved you. And he's looking at them like, Simon, love Levi. Levi, love Peter. Like, you love him and him love him. And, like, and look at the world that we're in. We have so many divisions. And those divisions are, are, are political and and over COVID, if you don't hate somebody because whether they wore a mask or didn't wear a mask, you weren't breathing. Right? And there's economic divisions, and there's social divisions, and there's racial divisions, and there's religious divisions. And, and what's Jesus saying to us? A new commandment I give you, that you love one another the way that I love you. And all that means is give each other the money bite. Offer one another the very best of what you have. Let's get practical. I mean super practical. We're running low on time. But let's get super practical. Husbands, give your wives the finest attention that you have not the leftover scraps. Parents, give your best energy to your kids. Kids, give the best of your honor to your parents. Families, give the best of what you have to your neighbors. Offer the biggest blessing that you can to your enemies. 
be generous to the point of pain to those who are marginalized and discarded and oppressed. Employers give the best effort. Employees give the best effort employers employers offer the finest opportunity to your employees customers at restaurants tip big i mean that my wife was in food service for seven years in whatcom county and the servers hated the sunday afternoon shift because the christians filed out of church and went and they were the most ornery and they were the cheapest on the tips and people hated that. They hated working Sunday afternoons. And CTK North Bay, at least can we change that? Right? Can we do that? Like go and tip big. Give the money bites to your servers that are working their behinds off. Offer them Rashid, your best. What if in Whatcom County, people loved working Sunday afternoon because they received the best from their Christian customers? The last verse we're concluding with, Deuteronomy chapter 6, it's called the Shema. It's the most common prayer in all of Judaism, and it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And that word strength, this is so cool. You know what that word is? It's your ma'od. It's your very. Love God with your very. God in creation offers to you what is owed. God is giving us his very, his money bite. And we're to love him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength. We're to love him with our very. I'm going to invite the worship team up right now. And as they come up, I'd like you to just close your eyes. I want you to have an image in your head. Think back to that Daniel passage where it says that all of the kingdoms are going to be given to the saints of the Most High. And I want you to picture that royalty being handed to you as a crown. So friends, would you just put your hands open as if you're receiving a crown right now? God wants to give you the highest of what he has. He's giving you a kingdom. He's placing a crown in your hands. In your mind, I want you to picture putting that crown now on your head. Feel the weight of it. Feel the heaviness of the immensity of that gift. I want you to sense 
the awe and the wonder of what God has given you. He's given you his son. He's given you his spirit. He's given you his kingdom. And there's a passage in Revelation where these people are taking their crowns and they're casting it before Jesus. You know what they're doing? They're giving back to God their highest. So would you picture now in your head, you're taking that crown off and extend it out to God. You're giving it back to him, meaning, Lord, I am giving you my best, my rashit, my highest gift. It's yours. This is who we are in creation. This is the story of Genesis. Would you stand and worship that God who gives?